I don't know if you can... Uh, if you can tell what this is here, anyone know what this is? I'll open it up for you. If you're under 25 years old, this is Google or Siri, right? This is what it is for you. This is an atlas, if, if you don't know, uh, us old folks in the room. This is what we used to use uh, to find directions to where we were going. If you're going on a road trip, you couldn't just ask Siri where to go. You couldn't Google directions. You had to bust out this bad boy from Rand McNally. Can I get a witness up in here? And, and you got your turn-by-turn -turn directions uh, from looking it up on, on a map. If you ever got lost, you couldn't just ask Siri to save you. Uh, you had to pull over to the side of the road and pull out your, your atlas to find out where you were and where you should be going. Or if you were in a town, if you were in a community, you could go to a phone booth, then get a phone book in the phone booth. You look up the address to where you are going. It'll give you a code to the back of the phone book. And the back of the phone book, that code took you to what? A map. There's a map in the back of the phone book. And you, on your way to the back of the phone book, we praying to God that someone did not beat you to that page and tore it out. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Right? Some of you are like, what's a phone book? <laughs> How did you ever survive in life without Siri? Uh, a few years ago, several years ago now, uh, we were on a family road trip. We were going somewhere. And just for fun, my wife, Sabrina, and I decided to use an atlas for directions just because it's fun. And so we, we pulled the atlas out to see where we were and where we needed to go. And, and Michaela, our third child, she uh, was a tad overdramatic at the time. In fear, literally in fear, she said, what are you guys doing? I was like, we're, we're getting directions, babe. Why aren't you using your phone? I said, we're, we're using the Atlas. We have, we have directions. And in literally terror, she thought we were all going to get lost and die because we did not use the Maps app on our phone. The reality is a map, really the Maps app, when you get that turn-by-turn -turn directions, it's designed to put you at ease. It's designed to give you rest about where you are going. And it's this, uh, we, 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 we very rarely view a map or a Maps app as being restrictive to our lives. It's that idea of restrictive versus rest that I want to talk to us about today because it's true for God's word and it's true for God's commands as well. We're jumping right into the big idea today. It's on the screens if you want to write it down and it's this. God's commands are not meant to restrict us. They are meant to bring us rest. Now, we might view God's commands as restrictive, but they're not meant to restrict us. They're meant to bring rest to our souls. We, we actually sang it in the song just before I, I came out here, the words of Jesus from Matthew eleven twenty eight that come to me and I will give you rest. If you're new here, my name is Jeff Manis, and I am the lead pastor here, and I'm just thrilled uh, that you and everyone who is here has chosen to be with us today. That includes anybody who's joining us on a video screen or in one of our video services uh, later on today. When I say God's commands are not meant to restrict us, you, you might be thinking, what, what do you mean they don't restrict us? All of God's commands are restrictive. Don't do this, don't do that. The thou shalts and thou shalt not if you want to use the old King James Version. And you might even be here today. And that's actually one of the reasons why you don't believe in God because it just seems like he's this cosmic killjoy up in the sky trying to keep us from experiencing life or having life on the earth. And if that is 
how you happen to feel. I actually understand how you could feel that way, and I I love it that you are here for this message. At, At first glance, or at face value, God's commands, they can seem restrictive. So I understand if that's how you feel, but if it is how you feel, I don't think you're seeing the whole picture. I don't think we, when we feel that way that we're seeing the big picture. So, so back to the map illustration just for a second. Let's say that I'm gonna drive from the church here in Cheyenne to Laramie and I don't know how to get there. That'd be weird if I didn't, but I don't know how to get there so I'm gonna ask Google how to get there. I actually entered in directions to Laramie from the church in Google. Here's what Google kicked out here. So they gave me two basically legitimate options to go there. The first one, they gave me directions to I-80 and they just take I-80 all the way across over to Laramie. I think almost all of us know how to get to Laramie. It's 52.8 miles to be exact. If I wanted an alternate route, maybe a more scenic route, it gave me directions to Happy Jack Road, and then all the way over to the Lincoln Memorial, hit the interstate down into Laramie. It's 52 miles, so 0.8 miles shorter, but actually a few minutes longer. Google did not actually give this option, but if you look at an actual map, or sometimes if I-80 is closed, Google will actually tell you two other options to get around to to Laramie. You can go north on I-25, all the way up towards Wheatland, hit Highway 34, and take that one down to Laramie, which, by the way, is a beautiful drive if you've never done it. You can also go south to Fort Collins and hit 287 up north into Laramie, another beautiful drive as well. Any of those, Google would say, are legitimate, acceptable options to get to Laramie from the church here in Cheyenne. So let's say I have a desire to go to to Laramie, and I look it up on a map, map kicks out those directions, but then I think the map's too restrictive. You can't tell me where I should or shouldn't go on my way to Laramie. I know a better way. I'm gonna go to Laramie through Omaha. (laughs) How will that work out for me and anyone who's on the trip with me, right? Have you ever had Siri giving you turn-by-turn directions and you thought, that can't be right, I'm going my own way? Anyone ever done that? Not saying I have, but raising my hand. (laughs) Every time I've done, I don't remember a time that brought more rest into my life. Every time, it leaves a frustration and stress, typically with my wife, who's in the passenger seat, wondering why I didn't listen to the directions. It's not gonna be very restful to ignore the directions a map gives. Yet, yet, we often expect to try and navigate life our own way, ignoring what God says in his word, and we wonder why we don't have rest in our souls. God's commands are not meant to restrict us. They're meant to make us rest. So the big question we have to ask today is why can I rest in God's commands? If there's rest, I wanna know why. What's the proof that I can rest in God's commands? Main scripture, Psalm 19, seven through 11. We're in a sermon series called 19 based on this chapter where we're taking the first four Sundays of the year and, and kind of walking through Psalm chapter 19 in the, in the Bible. If you brought your Bible with you, Psalm is in the Old Testament portion about halfway through an actual hard copy of a Bible. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, we always put the verses on the screens. If you came, you don't own a Bible. We believe in the word of God so much that we'll give it to you for free. So just ask for a Bible out at guest services or the Next Steps wall, and we'll get you a Bible free of charge. The first week of the series, we looked at the first four 
four verses of Psalm 19, where King David, whom God used to write this chapter, he, he took nature as an illustration, and we tied nature into the purpose of life for everyone. Then last week, we talked about how every new day, there's a new way to experience what God has for us, that every day God gives us a new way to experience him. If you've missed either of those sermons, or if you want to watch any of our sermons or services, they are all of them. All of them are online as far back as we have a record of, archive of, uh, at elementchurch.live. You can watch them there. So why can I rest in God's commands? Psalm 19, verse 7, the first part of verse 8 says this. The instructions, or literally the laws of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy. Help me out and say joy. joy. Bringing joy to the heart. In a, in a similar verse, Psalm 119, verse 143 says this, as pressure and stress bear down on me. Anyone ever have pressure and stress? No one does, right? As pressure and stress bear down on me, I find joy in your commands. Find joy in that. So why can I rest in God's commands? Here's the first thing I see. They are refreshing. God's commands are refreshing. They revive the soul, David said. They bring joy to the heart. Odd, odd question here, so, so hang with me. I am going somewhere. Out of curiosity, has anyone ever been to Death Valley, California? Raise your hand if you've been to Death Valley. Okay, a few of you have been there, but not a whole lot. I've never been to Death Valley, but a quick search on the Google, and I found some pictures of uh, Death Valley. Here's one of the pictures, and many are like this if you look them up. Now, not all of Death Valley always looks like this, but this is pretty much describes Death Valley. It is the driest place in North America, one of the driest places on all of the planet. Death Valley has an average rainfall of two inches a year. Two inches of rainfall per year. In the summer, it can reach 120 degrees regularly. And when it comes to plant life, there's just not much that exists in Death Valley. It's, it's mostly rocks, soil, maybe a few shrubs here and there. But really, it looks a lot like that picture, just barren kind of wasteland with mountain. There are actually mountains in Death Valley too. So what, what you don't see though, is lying dormant under the ground in Death Valley are wildflower seeds. And these seeds can actually lie dormant for up to four years, just waiting for the, the perfect scenario, the right conditions to exist. And when those conditions exist in Death Valley, in the springtime, Death Valley explodes into what's called a super bloom. Now, every year in the spring, there are a few wildflowers that pop up, but pretty much it's still barren desert in Death Valley. But when the conditions are just right, a super bloom happens. In October of 2015, that perfect storm began because it started with some unusually heavy rainfall in October. In fact, in one day, October 2015, there was three inches of rainfall in a five-hour period. They received two inches all year long. 
In one day, three inches came down. Then that was followed by a, a warmer than normal winter and some continued unusual moisture. So then in the spring of 2016, they experienced a super bloom, which by the way, only happens once every decade or so, a super bloom. You wanna see a super bloom? Check it out. That's Death Valley. I believe that's from the super bloom of 2016. One park ranger said it was, he had never seen anything like it and he'd been serving there since 1990. Here's another one, different colors. Let's just go to Google and look up super bloom Death Valley. It's beautiful, breathtaking, the color that erupts. Here's, here's one more, that's Death Valley. The ground just literally explodes in color. The whole landscape is refreshed. It actually re reminds me, the super bloom reminds me of how God's word, how his laws, how his commands interact with us. Have you ever found yourself in a dry spot spiritually? Just feeling like your, your, your life, your vitality of your spirit just is dry? Have you ever been there before? Like if you haven't ever been dry spiritually, congratulations on being a Christian yesterday, right? Because all of us, all of us, me included, have dry spots spiritually. And when we are dry spiritually, what we often do is pick up God's word, we read it, and nothing happens right away. And we might pick it up again the next day and read it again, and nothing happens again. And if we're not careful, we can start to believe, well, this isn't very refreshing, this isn't reviving my soul. And so we give up on the word of God, but what we don't see is under the surface, the rain has started something to grow. We just don't see it yet. This is why I believe a regular time with God every day where I'm spending time reading his word and seeking him in prayer is so vital to our spiritual lives. Because when I keep putting myself in the right conditions, even though I'm spiritually dry, there is coming a day when wildflowers are going to bloom and I will be blown away at the growth that came out of the driest season in my life. But I gotta keep putting myself in the right conditions. The prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament speaks beautifully to this exact thing. Isaiah 55, 10 through 13, he says this, the rain and snow come down from the heavens and stay on the ground to water the earth. They cause the grain to grow, producing seed for the farmer and bread for the hungry. Listen to this. It is the same with my word. I send it out and it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to, and it will prosper everywhere I send it. You will live in joy and peace, like what we read earlier. The mountains and hills will burst into song. The trees of the field will clap their hands. We used that verse a few weeks ago. Where once there were thorns, cypress trees will grow. Where nettles grew, myrtles will sprout up. These events will bring great honor to the Lord's name. They'll be an everlasting sign of his power and love. Isn't that awesome? That's powerful truth about God's word. So, so church, it's the regular reading of God's word that leads to the refreshing we need in our walk with God. It's the regular reading of God's word that leads to the refreshing we need in our walk with God. We can't just ignore the word of God until we need refreshed and then run to it for a quick fix. Doesn't work that way. 
That's like being, that's like collapsing from dehydration and trying to rehydrate yourself with just one glass of water. Doesn't work. Doesn't work physically and it won't work spiritually. And listen, I'm the first to admit, it may not feel like God's word is refreshing every time, but by daily being watered by it, it will be refreshing at the right time. Wildflowers will bloom out of nowhere from this dry season that you've been in. God's commands are not meant to restrict us. They're meant to bring us rest. So why can I rest in God's commands? Because they are refreshing. They revive the soul, bring joy to the heart. Verse 8b and then verse 9 in our main scripture says this. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. Reverence for the Lord is pure, lasting forever. The laws of the Lord are true. Each one is fair. Well, the second reason I can rest in God's commands, number two, is this, because they are reliable. God's commands are, are reliable. We already read verse seven, but it fits better in this point, so I want to read it to you again. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. Have you ever had to stop at a gas station, kind of swallow your pride, stop and ask for directions somewhere because you were lost? Ever done that before? Like, like when you ask someone for directions, depending on how they give you their directions will determine how confident you are, how much you can trust their directions, right? Like if you stop and say, hey, you know, I'm trying to get to such and such a place. Do you know how to get there? Like, oh man, I think I, think I know. So, so if you go down here, I think it's to 11th or 12th Street, Take a right there and go like two, maybe three miles off to the right. There's an old abandoned school building. Maybe it's a church. I can't remember. Not long after that, I, I believe you turn left and it should be down there. If you got those directions, how confident are you in trusting them? Not very. But if you ask somebody the same question, how do you get to such and such? And they say, oh, I know exactly where that is. I used to live right by there. Like just go right out of our parking lot and turn left. Go to the second stoplight, say, second light, turn right at the second light. Go two miles. You're gonna see a big red barn on the right-hand side of the road. The very next road, turn left, and about a half mile down that road, you'll find what you are looking for. Are you confident in those directions? Pretty confident. That's the way I think we should feel about God's word. It's reliable. I can trust it. That, that God is the one who not only gives eternal life, but he is the one who laid out in his word how we receive eternal life. And he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to heaven. No one receives eternal life but through Jesus, that Jesus was the one that paid the penalty for our sins, so he is the only way to eternal life. And also in his word, not only does he lay out the way to eternal life, but he lays out the way for us to experience the fullness of life that he desires for us to live. Or in other words, he gave us a map. And that map can be trusted. It's reliable. Psalm 1830 puts it this way. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is flawless. He's a shield to all who take refuge in him. Then in the New Testament, God through the apostle Paul says this in 2 Timothy 3.16. 
all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. The word of God, the commands of God, they are reliable. I can trust them. That literally, I can never go wrong by following the word of God. Never. I can never go wrong by obeying the commands of God. Never. Now, yes, there might need to be some wisdom in the application of God's word to our lives because with the arrival of Jesus, we're about to go deep for a moment, so buckle in, okay? With the arrival of Jesus, Jesus actually did away with some of the laws from the Old Covenant, the Old Testament portion of Scripture, those laws God gave to establish this separation of the Jewish and the pagan people that they were around. They were laws for the God's chosen people, the Jewish people alone. Important to note, by the way, that the laws Jesus did away with, they were not moral laws. He did not do away with moral commands. The laws he did away with were ceremonial, civil, and social laws. Their ceremonial laws pertain to when, where, and how the Jewish people were to worship and who could be included in worship in the temple. That was the ceremonial law. The civil and social law dealt with things like dietary restrictions, clothing restrictions that were meant to separate the people of God from the pagan cultures that they lived around. There's many of them, but things like pigs were unclean and you were to not eat pigs. But praise God in heaven through Jesus, we can now eat bacon. Can I get a witness? That's just one. Other things, these are real Old Testament laws, right? You couldn't wear clothing mixed of two kinds of fabric. But after the arrival of Jesus, I can now wear a poly cotton blend and I am not kicked out of the family of God excluded from worship in his temple. There, there, are, there are other civil and social laws that had to do with family and community and government dynamics, but with the arrival of Jesus, all or most of them, most of, most of those ceremonial, civil, social commands were done away with, but the moral, ethical commands remained the same. In fact, Jesus even raised the bar morally Jesus said, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I say, if you look at a woman or a person with lust, you've already committed adultery in your heart. He elevated the sexual ethic standard from the Old Testament. You've heard it said, do not murder. But I say, if you hate someone, you've already committed murder in your heart. He, he elevated the, the standard, the moral code. You've heard it said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. I say, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. He elevated the standard of love, even. You've heard it said, do not cheer for the patriots, and that one remains the same. <laughs> that does not change. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. Had to break the ice a little bit. At the same time, you have all those implications. At the same time, you also need some wisdom. Hang deep with me for a second, for a little bit more. You also need wisdom in knowing what some of the Bible means. That 
that not every word or verse in our English translation, because it was written in Greek and Hebrew, not every word or verse could be taken at face value. Sometimes you have to look and take into account the cultural implications, the original language that it was written in, who the audience was, so forth and, and so on. Now, okay, I know it sounds daunting and overwhelming, and please don't feel overwhelmed. I just had to deal with that for a second. The reality is, get back on track. The reality is, it's really not that difficult to read the word of God and know how I ought to live. It's just not that difficult. Even with all the cultural, social, language implications, God is not trying to hide his will from us. He clearly lays it out, and it's up to us to surrender to that or not. It's our choice. I, myself, find rest in the fact that God's word, his commands are reliable. They won't lead me astray. In fact, if I follow God's commands, not only does God lead me to eternal life, but he leads me to the abundant life on earth, life to the full that he wants me to have. Yes, there are do's and don'ts in the commands. Absolutely, I'm not denying that. There are lots of do's and, and don'ts. But those commands are not meant to restrict us from experiencing life. They are meant to release us to experience the fullness of life that only God can bring. They release us, not restrict us. God is the author of life. So he's the one that gets to determine what is best for our life and what is not. He determines what leads to eternal life and what does not. God's commands are not meant to restrict us. They're meant to bring us Rest. So why can I rest in God's commands? Because they're refreshing, reviving the soul, bringing joy to the heart. They are reliable. I can trust God's commands. I can trust them. In fact, no matter how I feel, no matter what my desires are, no matter what my flesh says, I can trust the commands of God. I can trust his commands. Then verses 10 and 11, Psalm 19 says this. They are more desirable than gold, even the finest gold. They are sweeter than honey, even honey dripping from the comb. They, that's God's laws, are a warning to your servant, a great reward for those who obey them. Third reason why I find rest in God's commands. Number three is this, they are a reward. They're a reward. This was a challenge to me. Do I view God's word, do I view his commands as a reward? We're in Psalm 19, but in Psalm 119, there were so many verses that went along with this message, I couldn't even choose which ones to use. King David also wrote Psalm 119, and over and over and over again, he talks about how much he desires and delights in God's commands, how they give him joy. He's revived and refreshed by them. By God's commands, David says, I have life. He said, I pant with expectation for God's commands, aligning my life to them. On and on and on it goes. And then I read Psalm 119, 127. He says this, truly, I love your commands more than gold, even the finest gold. I sat in silence for a bit when I read that. 
Because if I'm being honest, I'm not sure I can say that today. I want to. Maybe if my life was on the line and I was forced to choose between God's commands or some gold, I'd choose God's commands more in that moment. But when I look at my life every day, is that true of me? I love your commands more than gold. Even the finest gold. I'm not sure I love God's commands more than regular gold, let alone finest gold. God's commands are not meant to restrict us. They're meant to bring us rest. So why can I rest in God's commands? Because they're refreshing. They revive the soul and bring joy to the heart. They're reliable. I can trust them to lead me where I need to go. And I think deep down we believe it, but I'm not sure it's taken root for all of us. They are a reward. So where do we go from, from here? Well, I think at the very, very, very basic minimum that all of us should do is it starts with regularly reading the word of God every day. Every day. Whether you believe in Jesus or not, you can do that, okay? So you might think, well, where do, where do I start? Well, here's several options for you on the screen. You can download the YouVersion Bible app by life.church. It's a free Bible app that can just be on your phone or smart device at all times. On YouVersion, there are literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of Bible reading plans and devotionals. They even have a verse of the day. You can start with one verse a day. Don't stop there. Don't stay there, but start there. One verse a day and then grow from from there. So you version's a great one. Pastor Andy has an amazing resource called mybiblejourney.org. He only has 3 books of the Bible left to complete, but he's done the other 63 books of the Bible. He's taken them and he puts them in one read one chapter of the Bible a day for 5 days a week and then every day Pastor Andy writes a devotional applying something you read to your life. I mean, he's already done books like Leviticus and Numbers. Like, kudos to him, because I hate those books. So if you're thinking, man, I, I read the Bible sometimes, I have no idea what it means. My Bible journey is for you. We actually have some printed for free out at the Next Steps wall in the lobby. It will apply the word to your life. We have the 21-day journey for the new believers. A, a, a devotional I wrote, more for the new believer, but for anyone, takes the Gospel of John, 21 chapters, and you take a chapter a day, uh, you read the chapter of John, I give some devotional thoughts, a few questions to ask yourself, a prayer to pray, and after 21 days, you've read one whole book of the Bible. If you've never read the Bible before in your life, start with that, 21 and the Gospel of John. The last thing I think I would recommend is getting into a small group. We've been talking about small groups every week, and they're on your chairs to sign up. We've got a number of different small groups you could, you could join. Here's why I love small groups. I, I think the Word of God personally in my life one of the best ways for me to grow spiritually. I think small groups are the best way to make the word grow in my life. Because so I get around other people and I hear how the word's impacting them and what they think and what they believe. And I'm sharing what I think and how it's impacted me. And together we take the word of God and we're growing with one another, applying the word to our lives. We have a number of different groups you can sign up for, but we do have majority of our groups are, are going to be doing a 10-week sermon or a 10-week small group study based on a sermon series we've been telling you about that starts two Sundays from today on February 3rd called Grace and Truth. 
And in this series and in the small group study, we are going to be leaning into the conversation around faith, gender, and sexuality. Really leaning into the LGBT conversation, okay? The last two Sundays, I've spoken at length about the series and what it's about and what to expect. So I'm not doing that today. You can go back and listen to those or jump on my website, jeffmanis.com. I got a couple blogs about the series coming up. I'll post some more again this week as well. I just need you guys to know, okay? If you are here, we're gonna, we're gonna take this series head on. Okay, this is, talk about messy. There, there's not a more relevant and important conversation happening, by the way, today than the one around faith, gender, and sexuality. And it is messy. And I'm telling you, we're gonna embrace the mess, okay? We're just gonna embrace the mess together. And you need to know this, okay? If you're here and you are gay or you're transgender, you identify with LGBT some way, or if you're planning on inviting someone who identifies in that LGBT spectrum, as your pastor, wanting to care for and protect you and you as a friend or loved one to care for and protect your loved one, like you need to know, and if you're inviting somebody, they need to know that you might come to the series and you might hear some things that will be offensive to you. You might hear some things that I believe or that we teach that will seem like an attack, but I promise, I promise the posture we are taking as a church towards all people, including LGBT people, is one of radical love and mercy and compassion without abandoning what we believe to be a relevant truth. And I'm telling you, church, when you have radical love and relevant truth, it gets really messy really quick. But if you look at the life of Jesus, I would say his ministry was pretty messy. And so we're just going to embrace that as a church. Is that okay? So if, if you're inviting people, please let them know that, that, that you might hear something that could be offensive, but we are loving and embracing and showing compassion to all people. You can sign up for a group at, uh, on your papers there on your seat. You can go to our website as well. Please be praying for the series and for the small group study. Pray that God would unify us as a church, that there would be massive impact that's had that we'd reach people who we've never reached before and that we'd be confident. I I want us to be confident to engage this conversation. It's a tough one. It's a tough one, but we we have to start having conversations that we're not gonna gain any ground in either way. So let's be confident to engage the conversations. If you're here and you've never put your faith in Christ, I mean what I said, Jesus is the only way. The great news is it's not hard to receive eternal life. He paid the price for you. And by faith in him, you can be forgiven of your sins and have power to live for him every day and eternal life for the rest of your days, even after you die. If you want to talk to somebody about that, I'd love to talk to you. I'll be in the lobby afterwards or one of our pastors will be. You can talk to a volunteer, staff member, prayer team member as soon as we're done. Love to talk to you about what it means to put your faith in Christ. I love you guys so much. Let me pray for you and then remain still. Got a few closing remarks. God, you are amazing. Thank you, Lord, that you you clearly lay out your expectations of us and it gives rest. We don't have to worry about where to go. Your word, your commands are refreshing. They are 
reliable, and they are a reward. Help me see it that way. Help me live that way, God, in my own life. Thank you, Lord, for loving us, for calling us your kids by faith in you. We love you and give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. If you are new here, please stop by the living room on your way out. And if you need prayer for anything going on in your life, got an awesome prayer team all the way in the very back of the room at the purple tent back there. They'd love to pray for you, for anything you got going on in your life. They'll stay as long as you need to to pray for you. I love you guys. Have an awesome week. We'll be doing this again next week. You're dismissed.